Welcome to First Baptist Church Cookville Sermons. We are super glad you have chosen to listen to this message, and we pray that it would push you closer to Christ. If you are in the Cookville area, we would love for you to join us at 8 a.m. or 10.45 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Well, good morning, church. That was the quietest it's ever been. Good morning. This is really unique. This is a different time. Hey, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. So Deuteronomy chapter 30 will be our text today. And uh, we've been reading through the Bible chronologically. So if you normally haven't joined in with us, uh, you're, you're coming in at the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. We, we finished that book this week, and, and each week I preach from where we read from. So we, we read for six days as a congregation, and, and we come together and highlight a text on Sunday morning, generally Sunday night as well, and Wednesday night that uh, capture what we've read. So a little bit, a little bit different this week, just uh, one one preaching from the Word. And, and as I read through Deuteronomy this week, it was uh, just an awesome book, finishing up Deuteronomy, moving into the book of Joshua, one of my favorite books in all the Bible, uh, to see how Joshua leads and, and so much we can learn from that. But I wanted to focus the attention on Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I'll tell you, this is a different day. I've been preaching now for uh, 16 years, and I never in my life thought I would ask people to stay home. I mean, I've, I've begged people to come to church. I've, I've been excited about church for since I got saved. Uh, God saved me at 31 in 2003, and, and ever since, I've been excited about gathering with the body of believers. And, and i got to say, preaching from, from standing in my place this morning, how, how God has used me. He's used me to be a, a man, a relational man. I love looking into the eyes of the people who are with us on Sunday morning. I've never paid attention to the TV cameras in 11 years. I've never thought about a TV camera. It just is not something I've had to dismiss it by looking at the people, focusing on them. And today, thankfully, I have the worship team and my family to look at because it'd be a lot harder if I was just preaching to blank pews. And, and really it is hard because relationally, that's what, that's what ministry is. Ministry is relational. If you take the people out of ministry, it becomes not ministry at all. It's very distanced and difficult to minister when the people are not present. So I know this is just a time that is very temporary. And oh, I hope that while we're walking through this time at home and, and uh, uh, scattered all over, I, I pray that as we've socially distanced ourselves and as we've tried to flatten the curve of the coronavirus and we've done our best to protect not only ourselves but others in love for one another, we, we hope to separate ourselves and, and bring an end to this horrible uh, virus that, that that will happen rather rapidly and once again we can gather together and worship God together because I'm, I'm telling you, that was good worship here in the sanctuary this morning. Uh, it was it was fun singing to Jesus, but there is something very fueling when the entire congregation sings at the top of their lungs in this sanctuary. We worship Jesus together. It's it's very exciting, very inviting. It's it's very uh, engaging on Sunday morning, and and this morning Sam just wasn't singing that loud. 
So I, I only have a few people, Sam, to pick on this morning, so you might be the topic. But anyhow, good to be with you this morning uh, through this technology and through this time. And Deuteronomy chapter 30 is it's a very interesting text in light of our situation and where we are in our world today. I believe as I read this text, if, if you read it this week, you probably picked up on it, but if you didn't, as I read this text this morning, I believe that you will re- recognize in light of where we are as a people, how this text speaks to us clearly today, but also we get to see how it spoke to them. So, um, you know, we, we always stand uh, as we honor God and, and read His Word. And so if you're at home this morning, you're welcome to stand with us. We're going to stand here and read God's Word together. I want to begin in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1. The Word of God says, So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, The blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you. And will gather you again from all the peoples from where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. And your heart, the heart of, the, of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. The Lord your God will inflict <clears throat> all these curses on your enemies and those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments, which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hands, in the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your cattle and the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in his book of the law, If you turn to the Lord, your God, with all your heart and your soul, for this commandment, which which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us and make it make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us to make us hear it. That we may observe it. But the word is very near you. In your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your love and and grace and, and mercy, God, which is renewed every day. Thank you, Father, that we can gather in this unique way this morning. God, we can come together in our hearts. We can read your word. We can study your word, Father, and, and we can allow your word to penetrate our hearts, to bring transformation in our lives. Father, I pray 
that uh, you would, having known that you appointed a time today for us to gather, God, that you would anoint me with your power, with your word, Lord, to speak to your people, to bring a change in our hearts, God, to draw us closer to you, that we may know your love, that we may receive your love, God, that we may be transformed by your love, and our lives will be new today. We love you. We thank you, God, for loving us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So we, we see here that there was, uh, there, there was something going on in, in the life of the Israelite nation. They had, they'd been uh, around in the wilderness for 40 years. It is the end of Moses' life. He has led them to the point of entering into the promised land. And, and we have a God who has, has abundantly made it clear. He is, he's clearly spoken to the Israelite people. He's, he's clearly spoken a testimony to the world of his desire, his will for them, and how he wants to lead his children. We, we've read five books of the Bible, about a hundred and, I think, eighty-six chapters so far. Almost two hundred chapters of God's Word so far. And, and God in every step of the way, every chapter of that, and especially in these last chapters, we read in Deuteronomy, the life of Moses leading the people, we see where God clearly lays before the people how he desires for them to live. So we we have a choice that we make, and that choice is a matter of our heart. So we have to choose within our heart how we'll receive this message, just like the people of Israel had to choose how they would receive their message. So after reading these five books and reading up to this point, we see that Moses is He's not going to go in the promised land. This is the end of his journey with the people. Joshua will take over, and Joshua will lead the people of God into the promised land. And it's kind of like Moses' last speech. I mean, think about it with me. If you had one final word to say to the people you love, if you had one final opportunity, you knew this would be your last chance to speak to people. What would you say? Jesus knew before he ascended into heaven. He knew the day before, that, that day when he was going to ascend into heaven, the moments before, he spoke some very valuable things to people. He, he told people, he said, hey, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus knew that those words would ring true in the hearts of people for all of time. So he, he was very pointed in sending out his disciples and, and pointing them in the right direction so that it would make a difference in their life. And, and Moses here, he, he knows that he's not going in the promised land. He knows they're on the brink of entering the promised land. So he is saying the very last words he can to them, and he's guiding them in their life. And, and we see as we read through the text that Moses, knowing this God, he, he has dealt right relationally with God, very closely to God. And, and we see that he has witnessed the hand of God in so many things. We know that Moses understood God to be a couple of things I've talked about several weeks in a row and I want these to ring true in our heart as we read the text. We see God is a spectacular creator. He is a spectacular creator. Everything that God has created is spectacular. It's amazing what God's created. Not only is he a spectacular creator, 
But because He created all things, He is supreme ruler. Because He created them, He has rule over them. Don't miss that. God created everything, so He is ruler of everything. So He's supreme in His ruler. Not only that, He is the sovereign judge of everything. Because He is spectacular creator and created, He's supreme ruler over it. He is the one that gets to judge how things are working. So He becomes a sovereign judge. Well, I think the greatest point we see about God when we think of God and, and Moses saw and the, and the people of God when they paused for a second would see about God is that he is Savior and Redeemer. And he desires to redeem his people. So in the very heart of the message that we see Moses is speaking, communicating to the people of God as they're entering this new land, the last words he gets to say to them, he says, he is a Redeemer. And he is redeeming you. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God's good for his promises. And he's very faithful to those promises. And, and he is going to redeem the people that he has chosen to come forth and go into this land. He, he's going to redeem them. And he, he lovingly, lovingly placed boundaries for each of us to recognize in our life that we would not cross those boundaries and not find ourselves living apart from the will of God. But God knew that the people would not live perfectly to their to His will. He knew that. So He, he had abundantly explained to His children how they were to live in the Word of God. But knowing God knowing all things knew that His people would not always live to His will. So God placed... Uh, before the Israelites, very clearly they could see in the previous chapters the blessings and the cursings. The, those, that, that, those things that were a blessing to the people, the, the, the privilege to live by the mighty hand of God, the, the overflowing uh, giving nature of God, to be blessed by God and, in, in all things, but also they witnessed the curse. They witnessed how Pharaoh and, and led Egypt and how when they lived in Egypt, God placed the the uh, plagues on the people, and, and they saw that. They witnessed this. They witnessed the curse throughout and uh, their journey, but they also witnessed the blessing. They witnessed the fact that their clothes never gave out or ran out. They, their food never gave out or ran out. They, they were provided for in the land as God led them. So we see that God blesses His people. He also, we see that God is capable of of bringing the curses to people who are resistant to God's will. I want you to notice something in this text. If, if you will, there's, there's a phrase that continually comes about. And, and in this, this text, it says, The Lord your God will. Verse 3 says that. It says, Then the Lord your God will. And it, it follows by the things that God will do. It says there in verse 3, Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity. So what is that based on? It's based on the fact that when you return to the Lord your God, verse 2, Obey Him with all your heart and soul according to all that I have commanded you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore so I want you to see that God, God says he, he will restore us. He wants to restore us. That's His will. He, he desires to restore us. And when people live the way that they want to live, apart from the will of God, they, they live in opposition to God. And, and we all understand what that is. That's sin. Sin separates us from a holy God. 
But God is willing to, God desires to restore His people. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, the very best of what God had to offer them. But while they were there, they distrusted God's goodness. And not only that, they they disbelieved the fact that God had their best interest at heart. So they chose to take of a tree that God told them not to. And, And God... It didn't take them long before God let them recognize all that they lost in that transaction. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll, we'll recognize in our life that when we live for the will of God and when we're walking the way God's called us to walk, our lives are blessed. God's blessings can be upon us. But when we walk against the will of God in our life, it drives a wedge between us relationally with God and it's our own choosing. And just like Adam and Eve, we recognize how much we've lost. It wasn't long before they recognized that, but also it wasn't long before God lovingly reached out to restore them in relationship. God wants to restore us. God wants to restore you. He wanted to restore the people of Israel from from the decisions they had made, from the, the patterns that they had allowed to become part of their life that were disobedient to the will and the way of God. But God willingly longed to restore them to himself. Not only that, we see that if we continue to read there, that the Lord your God will restore you from captivity. Let me pause there because I don't want to miss this. Captivity, what is that? Well, can I just tell you this? Anytime you live with sin in your life and you accept sin, a sinful desire, a sinful nature, a direction that is against the will of God, it brings you into captivity. That sin captivates you. That sin holds you. That sin harnesses you. That sin keeps you from being all that God wants you to be. And God wants to restore you from that. He wants to take you out of that captivity. He wants to break the chains. He wants to release you. And and I'll tell you, I've, I've walked through that myself. And I also know others, even in this room today, that have walked through that. And, and many of you at home know what I'm talking about. You've been captive to something. You've had an addiction in your life. You've had something that bound you up and you know the feeling of being free and when God frees you from that which held you captive there's no greater feeling in this world than to be free and God wants to do that he wants to restore you in relationship he continues to say in there not only will the Lord your God restore you from captivity he says and have compassion on you God is a compassionate God God is not looking at your life, knowing that you have disobeyed God, and all of us have, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not just you, it's not just me, it's all of us have done that. But God looks upon your life, and with compassion, just like with the Israelites, though they had, I mean, how many times have we counted in the last weeks that they have just totally gone against the will of God? But he compassionately, lovingly looks upon them. And it is his desire to draw them back, to restore them. So we, we see there that not only does he want to compassionately lead them and restore them com- from captivity, he says there, and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So God compassionately reaches out. Why? To gather us. I I wouldn't want you to miss this. God is a relational God. I mean, from the very foundation, we see that it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in 
complete union together. They, they serve to make everything that we see today. They created together. They were in relationship and they created mankind. God said in, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let us make mankind in our image, in the likeness of us. Let's make them. Why? Because he, he wanted, he, he longed for relationship with his creation and the crown of creation, mankind became that point where he relationally dealt with his creation. So God created us for relationship. That's why relationship's so important to us. That's why when, when you're preaching to empty pews, it's really hard. I mean, it's really easy when there's a lot of people here because it's a, a forming of a relationship. It's community. But when we are distanced and, and separated from one another, it's more difficult for us. We're used to our norms. We're used to coming together. And, and, and we're living in a world right now where gathering is not an option for us. It, it's an option, yes. But it's not a viable option for us to gather with this known virus. So we see that God recognizes that when we are separate from one another, we're not at our best. God wants to have communion with us. God wants us to have communion with each other. God draws us together. God is a unifier, not a divider. Satan is a divider. Satan will bring things in your life, in my life, that will divide us from the will of God, the way of God. And we'll, we'll begin to work through to try to rationalize the Word of God to fit our situation and even manipulate the Word of God to be acceptable in our sight instead of acceptable in His sight. God is a unifier, though, not a divider. Now, God says here something that's kind of unique and neat, I think, to me, anyhow. It says uh, in the last portion of verse 3, the Lord your God has scattered you. Well, here we just said God desires to gather us. Why would God scatter us? Why would God scatter them? i got just two reasons I'd like to throw on the table for you this morning. God will scatter us for His purposes. And I believe that, that one of those purposes was for them, they, they were scattered because of their disobedience to the will of God. God couldn't huddle them up and gather them and, and, and just lovingly accept their life as it was. He had to separate them so they would feel the distance and long for Him. And, and I recognize that when we're away from one another, even in this environment this morning, we're away from one another, it is God's desire to draw us back together. I believe fully that, that, you know, what Satan intends for evil, God can take for good. And he can make something really good out of, out of anything that's meant for destruction. God always wins. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God always wins. And, and God is going to win. And in gathering us together, God wins because we're drawn back to him and drawn to one another. But we also see that God can use scattering not only to build a heart within us that yearns and longs for each other and for him, but we know that God scattered the first church. They left Jerusalem. Why? Well, the gospel couldn't stay in a huddle. The gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ had come and died for the sin of mankind. He was the final atonement. In other words, he paid the price for my sin. He paid the price for your sin. His blood was shed to cover us and complete us and draw us back into relationship. He did what was necessary for us to be in a right relationship with him. 
He did something we couldn't do. We can't be perfect. So he perfectly went and paid the price for our sin. And he draws us together. And then that is excellent news. But if that just stays within the walls of a church or inside of a community and never touches the ears of others, how profitable is it? So God scattered the church. By persecution, they were scattered throughout the known world. And the gospel went with them. They knew that good news. They had experienced that good news, witnessed it, and they carried it where they went. And they touched the lives of other people. I would say in position to you this morning that God has us scattered for a reason. We're, we're embarking in new territory. We've never been here before, any of us, to where we were. Our norms are so drastically changed. I would say, though, we must find ways to take the good news of the gospel and that the relational desire of God to draw us together and recognize how we can use that in our world today to make an impact on other people. So God wants to restore us. He has compassion on us, according to this text. He wants to gather us and bring us together. And there's no distance too great. I, I, I got that out of that too. I mean, he says there that, that the Lord your God is scattered. He'll, he'll draw you back. He wants to gather you from all the people from where the Lord your God has scattered you. He, he, we've gone, at times in our lives, we've gone a great distance from the will of God. But we've never gone so far that the hand of God can't reach us where we are. God's hand of love, grace, and mercy can reach you from wherever you are and draw you back to himself. And it's his desire to gather you to himself. It also says there's two more things here we see in verse 4. If you're outcast or at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. Verse 5 says, The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possess, and you shall possess it. Notice the next two things he says he'll do. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. It is God's desire that when we live for God, that when we, are, when we're, we experience the compassion of God, when we experience the restoration of God in our life, when we experience the drawing together of God in our life, that God will then take us and prosper us and multiply us. Now, this, this may not be the prosperity message that you're thinking of, uh, that as, as long as i got a lot of good stuff in my, my back pocket or in my house or in my world, then, then everything must be good. But God will prosper you. He will make your efforts of all things. He, he even goes into, uh, you'll, be, you'll be blessed as a people. You'll multiply. You'll be blessed in your crops. The produce of your ground will provide for you. You'll be blessed in your, your herds. They'll multiply as well. But God is saying that when he, he'll prosper us, he'll, he'll multiply us. He, he'll have no, no bars held back. He'll give us all things that we need to, to provide for us in our life. So we see this, that, that when we return to God, when, when he allows us to return to him, he has compassion on us to gather us, to prosper us, and to multiply us. And in order to achieve these five things that we see in the text, God says he will do a couple of more things. Look at this. Verse 6 says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. The Lord your God. Don't, don't miss that. Now, the Lord, that's who's doing it, 
your God. When, when He is your God, what is He going to do? In order to, to return, uh, to have experienced the compassion of God, to be gathered into His presence, to, to be prospered and multiplied, it says there in verse 6, the Lord your God will bring you, or verse 6, more of the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. So there is a cutting away. There are things that have attached themselves to our life. We've allowed things in our life. We've allowed practices and, and we've allowed sinful desires to take a root in our life. And God says that there has to be, there needs to be, there must be a circumcision of the heart. I want to read for you in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. And, and hear what the writer of Hebrews says about this circumcision process and how it happens. It happens through the Word of God, says in verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit for both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows that in order for us to be the people he wants us to be, there must be a circumcision of our hearts. There must be a removal of some things there, a cutting away. And the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, it brings us to the place where we are face-to-face with God and we have to recognize what, that, what, what the will of God is, what the way of God is, and, and how the Word of God can work in our hearts to bring about that circumcision. We have to a heart connection with our lifestyle, and some of those things need to be cut away. Not only is there a circumcision of the heart, look at verse 7. It says, The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and those who hate you, who persecuted you. So there's a redirecting of the curse. God will take those things that, that are for those who live in unrighteousness. There's no other way around it. You can't prosper and live in unrighteousness. God will not allow it to happen. It may happen for a moment in the worldly perspective or sense. It may happen momentarily, but it will not happen for eternity. God won't prosper you. God won't allow you to live in, in, in the curses of this world and the, the sin of this world and prosper. So God says that those curses, those who reject him, those who have turned their face away from him, he'll allow those things to come upon them. And then he says in verse 9, he says, The Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and the produce of your ground. And the Lord will again, catch this, the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. So uh, the Lord will circumcise our hearts. He will remove the curses from us and put those in places where people have rejected him. And he will rejoice over his people who have drawn back into his presence, who have returned, who he's had compassion on, who he has gathered, prospered, and who he has multiplied. It is God's will. It is God's will to draw us together. It is God's will for that. We see in verse 10, it says, if. Just a little word there, if. So that tells us that God's desire is to do these things but there's a condition. If you obey the Lord your God 
to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law. If you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. Yes, God is revealing to us and to them that there is a condition in gaining the life that he longs for us to have. God says we must come to him with hearts willing to be obedient. The scripture is very clear. You and I can't serve two masters. We can't have life the way we want it and the way God wants it unless they align. We have to have the circumcision of our heart, the cutting away of the things in our life that God doesn't want for us. We have to allow him and his word to change and transform us, to bring us into his likeness. And he says there, if you obey. So there's obedience involved in this. We, we can't obey but one master. It truly matters where our heart is. And God is calling us to himself. He's calling us to come back to him. I want to read uh, verse 11 through 14 here as we conclude and see this. For this command which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. I believe there are many people in this world that will say, you know, the ways of God are just too hard. Uh, God is just, he, he is, is too strict. I can't, I can't live in that. It's just too confining. I just can't handle that. That's not, not, that's not for me. Can, can I just say this? After living in the world for 31 years, apart from the will of God in my own personal life, and then yielding my life to God, obediently coming and surrendering my life to Him, I can tell you this, it is not too difficult. It is the greatest thing any person could ever do. Living for the Lord is the greatest way to live. I've enjoyed the joy that that is beyond my uh, uh, comprehension, really, and, and ability to communicate to you, the, the peace that surpasses all understanding that I have. But the command I want you to know today is not too difficult. Not only that, it's not out of reach. It says that there in verse 11, nor is it out of reach. Verse 12 says, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. So God's saying, listen, this is not out of reach. It's not too far. It's not unattainable for you. It is attainable for us all. We can all be in the will of God. We can all live for God. We can all be drawn near to Him, restored by Him, gathered to Him, and that is His will for our lives. He says there in verse 14, but the word is very near to you. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. I want to share one more text with you. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 9. He says in this text, I mean chapter 10. He says in this text in chapter 10 verse 9. He says that if you confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That, that was on the heels of verse 8 where he says, but what does it say? He repeats the word from Deuteronomy chapter 30. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. God desires for us to come together. God desires for us to be restored. 
God desires to share His compassion towards us, His love towards us, and He calls us to obediently come to Him and live for Him. I want to finish this time together by just reading a few more verses from chapter 30. Verse 15 says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. So that here God is saying to us there's two options. Life and prosperity, living for God, experiencing the blessings of God. Every good gift comes from the Father above, Scripture tells us. So living for God and experiencing that, or death and adversity. Those are our two choices. Verse 16 says, In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you enter to possess it. Verse 17 says, But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish, surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, and by holding fast to Him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. God is calling to us today, and he is telling us, I am putting before you life and death. We've experienced life and death in this world. We've experienced life and death very close to our home and heart. We've experienced death through the tragedy of a tornado. We're experiencing separation and even death in the uncertainty of a virus. Ladies and gentlemen, as we come before the Lord today, He is setting before us life and death, but not just in this physical world, but in the eternal world. And we must make a choice today whether we want to live in life with God or whether we're okay with walking away from God and experiencing death and devastation. It's not out of reach for you to live in life and the prosperity that God has for you, His blessing on your life. It's not out of reach. But you have to reach out for it. See, the return in that text, if you go back and read in Deuteronomy 30, when he calls them to return, the return was on them. They had to return. God didn't drag them back. They had to return. Let me ask you, no matter where you are today, how far you've drifted from the will and the way of God, will you return to him? Will you allow his compassion to come upon you? Will you allow him to restore you to the, the person he created you to be? Will you allow him to make a difference in your life? He longs to have a relationship with you. And all you have to do, it's not out of reach, all you have to do is ask God, Lord, Lord, I've lived apart from you. I want to live with you. Forgive me. Lord, will you forgive me of my sin? And the answer to that is yes. He will forgive you. He will restore you. It says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he'll save you. And it's, it's with the mouth we, we confess and with the heart we believe. And I desire 
for you to hear that message today. God desires for you to hear that message today. No matter where you are, God longs to be in relationship with you. I'm going to pray for us. Greg and the team's going to come, and we're going to have a time of invitation. And this time of invitation is different than any other probably you've ever been a part of. But I remember sitting in my chair in my house at 31 years of age, one evening by myself. The Word of God was heavy on my heart, and I, I surrendered my life to Jesus right there. There wasn't a preacher present. There wasn't anybody there to pray with me. But I prayed the simplest prayer I knew how to pray. I asked God to forgive me of my sin. I said, Lord, I have no clue what that looks like. I have no clue what it looks like to live for you because I've never done it. But if you give me life and breath tomorrow, I'll do my very best to live for you. And where you sit today, you can say the same thing. You can say something different. Your heart connected to God's heart. You just confess and surrender. God will change your life. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time of invitation we have right now. You've invited us to experience your compassion, your loving arms to gather us and to restore us into the, the person that you've called us to be. Father, I pray there will be a circumcision of our heart, a cutting away of the things that don't need to be in our life. There will be a, a, a gathering into your presence and you'll make a difference in our life right now. Lord, let us rightly come before you in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.